Exodus chapter 20, we're in the uh, fifth message, the fifth commandment of the ten that we're going through. And we're going to kind of structure the message in the same way we've structured uh, the last several messages. We're going to talk about the meaning of the fifth commandment and and we're going to talk about an example of obedience to the fifth commandment. And then we're going to talk about what that fifth commandment, how it corresponds to those of us today who, who are in Christ. And then we'll close with, with some, some application of how we can live this out right now. Um, so let's read this. Exodus 20, verse number 12. And at first we're going to read this. You can say, man, you should have waited till the kids were in here to do this command. Well, I know who I'm preaching to. I know who I'm preaching to. I'm not preaching to kids tonight, but I'm preaching to people who have kids yeah. or grandkids or have an, have an interest in the next generation. Um, and, and so I, I think this is going to apply very, very, very well. Um, by the way, you never really outgrow the fifth commandment. There's not an expiration date. It's not like, all right, you turn 21, you get married. You no longer have to honor father and mother. You've outgrown that one. Oh, there's not that in there. Sometimes I wish there was. But there's not. So here we go. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Many historians believe a significant shift in Americans' attitude toward authority took place during the 1960s. If you're alive during the 1960s, would you raise your hand if you're alive during the 1960s? All right, all right. Good, that's the wisdom in the room right there. It's not the age, it's the wisdom in the room. Amen. They say this was the decade of the anti-establishment. Many young people were anti-business, anti-government, anti-military, anti-school. But of all the institutions that they say came under attack, perhaps the most significant was the family. One writer by the name of Annie Gottlieb, I think that's how you pronounce the name, identifies the 60s as, I quote, the generation that destroyed the American family. I wasn't alive then. I don't know. I don't know what y'all think about that. that. That was her take. She said this, We might not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands on it. And we believe that the family was the foundation of the state, as well as the collective state of mind. We truly believe that the family had to be torn apart to free love. And the first step was to tear ourselves free from our parents. What makes, I think, her analysis so chilling is the connection that she draws between the family and the state. I think she's right. The way to destroy a nation is to destroy the family. And the way children can destroy the family is by rebelling against their mom and dad. But this author wasn't noticing anything new because God was the one who set forth that very principle in the Ten Commandments. What we're going to see is that our relationship toward our parents is fundamental to every other human relationship. The Ten Commandments are are often divided into what they call two tables. Christians have historically called the first four commandments the first table that deals with our vertical relationship, us and God. The second table then deals with our horizontal human relationships. You've heard that before. 
The first table began with the foundation to solely worship God, right? I am the Lord thy God. I brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I shall have no other gods before me. That's, that's, that's the foundation of the Ten Commandments of the first table. The, 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 the second begins with a proper honor to father and mother. Why? Well, just as the relationship with Yahweh is the beginning of the covenant, the relationships between parents and children is the beginning of society. Augustine asked this rhetorical question. Look at it. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Think about that. Presumably the answer is no, because the parent-child relationship is the beginning of all human society. In other words, if a child doesn't respect authority at home, will he really respect authority other places? I reckon he might, but he'll struggle to do so. So so let's dive into this command. We we understand how important it is to God because he starts the second table with it. It's the beginning of society. Every other relationship flows from this parent-child relationship. So so let's, let's start with the meaning of the command. The meaning. Um, what is, uh, the, the first word of verse number 12 honor. This is a heavy word. Literally, literally to honor in Hebrew means to make heavy. It means to make weighty. It means burdensome. It's, it's the, it's the verbal form of the word often used in the old Testament to describe the glory of God, the, the weightiness of his divine majesty. So to, so to honor one's parent is to give due weight to their position. The same thing that I hope you do when you think of God. Don't you think of the glory of God as something that is weighty? Something that deserves your fear, your reverence, your awe, your respect, your attention? Well, the same word is used to describe how we should think about the position of our parents. Like we ought to give them the recognition they deserve for their God-given authority. Now, they're not God, but that word gives us a sense of the reverence that we ought to have for our parents. The opposite of honor is dishonor. Just as the fifth commandment requires respect for parents, it forbids showing them disrespect. So if parents are weighty, and that doesn't mean they're fat, but they're weighty. If they're weighty... They shouldn't be treated lightly. It's a good way to put it, isn't it? If they're weighty, and that's what honor means, the position of being a parent, that's weighty, that's burdensome, that's heavy. They shouldn't be treated lightly. It's a God-given role. But wouldn't you agree that rebelling against parents has become a common sin? And we shouldn't be shocked, right? The Apostle Paul told us in the book of, uh, of 2 Timothy 3, maybe, that in the last days, remember this? which we're living in, by the way, and and he was living in. Men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And then what does he say? Disobedient to parents. The closer we get to Christ's return, the worse this rebellion inside of the home is going to become. Paul also includes rebellion as an example of the natural man, the unsaved man, and the reprobate mind in Romans chapter 1. That's serious. Now, we aren't under the old covenant any longer. I praise God for that. But back then, when children were rebellious to their parents, according to Leviticus 29, what happened? 
They were put to death. Yet despite how serious the Bible speaks against disobedience and dishonor, even in the New Testament, many young people today assume that breaking the fifth commandment is part of their job. Just an ordinary part of growing up. We call it growing pains. But you know what's worse than that? Is that parents dismiss dishonor by saying something like this. It's just a phase. All kids struggle with it. We start with the terrible twos, right? Oh, we're terrible. I tell you what, just the terrible twos. And we kind of like snicker with that. Well, what happens when they turn four and they're acting the same way? What about six? What about eight? Thirteen, when we say, oh, teenagers are going to be teenagers. Well, what about when they're 20? Y'all get what I'm saying? What we think is a phase, God actually calls a sin. And notice the command, we're talking about breaking this out. What's the meaning of the command? The command includes both fathers and mothers. Did you know that? Both mom and dad are deserving of equal respect. Those are a couple implications that I think are screaming from that. We, we can't miss it. We take for granted, honor your father and mother. Well, yeah, honor your mom and dad. Well, think about the implications. God is ruling out same-sex parents. That is not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. God is ruling it out. It's not part of his plan, folks. I think sometime this week, maybe today is, is coming out, National Coming Out Day. Something like that. Listen, if you're a Christian, you don't have to hate on those people. But do not affirm that. Don't affirm that. Well, what about love? Well, love them. Love them right where they're at. But don't affirm what they're doing. Don't affirm what they're doing. We don't get to change the rules of the Bible just because our culture keeps on changing. Are you with me? The Bible stays the same. And, and can you imagine a Bible that changed with the culture anyway? Would that not be scary? As Christians, as Bible believers, we have to be graciously but courageously committed to absolute truth. Not our version of the truth. And I know that's hard sometimes, especially if, if like, like my wife does, has a, has a sibling that's, that's just enslaved in this lifestyle. It's incredibly difficult because we love these people, right? But this is not God's plan. You got to understand this. You say, well, Tyler, you're preaching in the choir. I don't know. I don't know that today. I don't know that today. I want to remind new Christians. I want to remind seasoned Christians that, that, that just have a wide, you know, assortment of influences in their life and and read broadly, I just want to remind you that what the Bible says is what goes. Right? And, and by us teaching and preaching these things, please hear me, we're not hateful for teaching and preaching these things. We're hateful if we're antagonistic about it, and we're condescending about it, and, and we're, we're sinfully sarcastic about it. That Christians just shouldn't do that. That hurts our case. That makes it, preachers like me that try to do it right, it, it puts me behind the eight ball. Does that make sense? So when a man of God tries to do it with the spirit of God in the grace of God, but with boldness, but Christians are on Facebook just slamming these people like they're not actual human beings. 
but there's some grotesque form of a human being, well then every, every time a preacher stands up with the grace of God, the spirit of God, under the authority of the word of God, and says it as best as he can say it, then it automatically gets interpreted as that's hate speech. You know why they do that? Because so many Christians are being hateful about it. Stand your ground firmly, boldly, but with grace. Somebody say amen to that. We have to be careful about these things. Can't leak. I know we have strong feelings, but can't leak in a way that's with the flesh. A second indication is this. Mom deserves the same honor as dad does. You with me? Now, I know I'm preaching to parents, so I'm not going to apply this to kids if nobody's in the building that is a kid, really. Um, In terms of a small kid. What... What, how this applies to you, as I thought about it in my office, is that I find that kids can be really crafty at pitting mom against dad. Or dad against mom. Like they know which parent is more prone to give grace. Come on now. You knew which parent was more prone to be nice, to wear down faster. And for some of you, it's the dad and some of you, it's the mom. Hopefully it's not both of you. Somebody's got to be strong. But, but they, they know which one to go to. So mom and dad, be careful. You're a team. Mom, never undermine dad. Dad, never undermine mom. Be very careful that you're in constant communication about making decisions with and for your children. That you're not doing things behind your spouse's back because you know they wouldn't like that. Never do that. That is a terrible habit to get into. That breeds marital problems, it, it, it breeds favoritism, it breeds confusion in our kids, ultimately rebellion in our kids. So be very, very careful about that. Well, the verse also tells us why children should respect their parents. Now, many reasons could be cited, right? I mean, parents deserve to be honored because of the sacrifices they make. Have you not told your kids that? Like, eat what's on the plate. I put it there. Or, or, or they say something like, man, you never give me any money. And what do you say? You got a roof over your head, shoes on your feet, clothes on your back. Come on now. If you aren't saying that you should, it's good. It's true. It's true. They should honor you simply because you love them, make sacrifices for them because you've been farther down the road than they have, right? All these kind of good reasons. What's the reason God gives so that you can love long on the land? It's in the children's best interest. What what does he mean you can live long on the land? Well, the old covenant included an unconditional promise and a conditional promise. An unconditional promise to Abraham, if you remember, that his seed would save people from all nations. You remember that? That promise, though the nation of Israel did not prove to be deserving of that. Thank God it was unconditional. It was fulfilled through Jesus. Okay, but there was a conditional promise that involved land. If the laws delivered to Moses were obeyed, the people would get to live in the promised land. What was the promised land? It was an amazing place. Flowing with milk and honey, a place of favor and blessing. This is why it was in their best interest to obey the fifth command, because disobeying it meant they forfeited the blessings of the old covenant. Now, under the new covenant, the Lord doesn't offer us physical land for our obedience. I'll take some land. I wouldn't mind that every once in a while. But he does promise us blessings as a result of our obedience, doesn't he? 
And when we decide to dishonor our parents today, we too are forfeiting God's blessings and we're actually inviting his chastisement into our life. You need to teach your kids this, by the way. That dishonoring and disobeying their parents will result in God chastening them, Hebrews chapter 12. You need to teach them honoring their parents will lead to some of God's richest blessings. Get this. They need to understand that their disobedience is more than just bucking your authority. It's more than just frustrating you. It's more than just stressing their mother out. How many times have we said things like that? Stop stressing your mom out. Right? We say things like that. And it's true. Like They frustrate us and and they shouldn't buck our authority and that bothers us. But we can't stop there because then we start treating their behavior on a, on a symptom type level, a, a temporary solution. We, we just put band-aids on their behavior. We never get to their heart. We need a point, uh, uh, they need to be pointed to who their disobedience affects the most. And that's God and their relationship with him. Sure, they need to understand how they stress their parents out. And sure, they need to understand bucking your authority is, is not allowed in this home. But at the end of the day, they really need to understand that they are inviting God's chastening in their life and they're forfeiting God's blessing when they dishonor their parents. So let's take a look at a good example of this in, script, in Scripture. <clears throat> Story of David and Jonathan. First uh, Samuel 14 is going to be on the screen. Let's read that together. Verse 43 through 45. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand. And lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. And the people said unto Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid. As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. For he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. Now, I, I bring this example out to show you how crazy Saul was. He was a hard dude to obey. You think your dad was hard to obey? Try having this maniac as your dad. You talk about moody, unpredictable, angry, grumpy, jealous. I mean, when's the last time your father-in-law threw a spear at your head? Huh? He might have said, get out of my house, but he never threw a spear at your head. That was what David had to endure. When's the last time that you did something? Remember, Jonathan didn't hear that Saul put this in place. See, Saul Saul told his soldiers, I don't want you to eat any of this till all the enemies are taken care of. Well, that's mean. Soldiers need food, y'all. This is a maniac leader, oppressive leader. Well, Jonathan didn't catch that they weren't supposed to eat until they killed the enemies. And he saw like this amazing honey. What are you going to do if you see like a KFC biscuit with honey and you're hungry? Captain Brucey, are you going to eat that in the middle of the desert? Whoa, dang right. Okay. Let's keep it E-rated for everyone, man. That's not the script. I love authenticity, man. I love it. I love it. Just as long as it doesn't go any farther than that. I'm good. Christian cussing is just fine, you know. Just kidding. So you see this biscuit, you see honey on it, and you didn't even know you weren't supposed to eat it. And then you eat it and it's like you were told your dad's going to kill you for this. And he would have. He was a maniac. 
He treated David even worse. If there was ever a, ever a father who failed to deserve the respect of his son, it was Saul. And yet both of those guys honored this guy. David honored Saul by refusing to take his life when he had multiple opportunities to do so. Jonathan honored Saul too by trying to stop him from sinning against David. You understand that speaking the truth to your parents sometimes is a way of honoring them. Keeping them from touching God's truly anointed. That was an act of of honor. Because that would have invited God's judgment on Saul and Jonathan tried to talk his dad off that cliff several times. But let me be clear here. There were actually times when David and Jonathan had to disobey Saul. So I want to be true to the record here. In doing so, they didn't break the fifth commandment. They actually kept it by honoring their higher authority, which was God. Are you with me? Submitting to authority never means disobeying God, ever. Some duties take precedent over others. God is ultimate. So David and Jonathan, I could go deeper into that for sake of time. I won't because I want to get to some application tonight. But they're a great example of how to obey a parent when a parent is a knucklehead. And I know that, that the, the main objective that comes up to this fifth command is you don't know my dad. You don't know my mom. And if they ever tried to get you to do something con- that, that was in contradiction to the word of God, then God is your higher authority. But let's put this in perspective. I'm not quite sure they were as impulsive or as responsible or even as violent. And maybe they were, but in most cases, they per- probably, wasn't, probably weren't as violent as King Saul. Would you agree with that? All right, so let's look at Christ in the fifth commandment. I, I think like all the commandments, this commandment is impossible for us to keep perfectly during our lifetime. And think about this. Did you ever talk back to your parents? Not a rhetorical question. Let's answer out loud class. Did you ever talk back to your parents? Okay. Question two. Did you ever hide anything from them? Okay. Question number three. Have you always spoken well of your parents? Okay. Got one yes out there. That's good. Polish your halo. Number four. Are you taking time even now to strengthen the relationship? Don't answer this out loud. It starts to get personal. Are you taking time even now to strengthen the relationship you have with them? Have you been kind and considerate to them as they age and need more from you? We all fell somewhere. The the fifth commandment is part of God's law. And let's be honest, we have broken it. There's no perfect child except Jesus. The law points us to Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our law breaking. Somebody say amen to that. But he's done more than that. It wasn't enough for him to simply pay the price for our sin. He also had to offer God the obedience that his law demands. And Jesus did that perfectly. Jesus honored his earthly parents. Study Luke chapter 2. Right around verse 40 to verse 51 or so. He had the same human flesh that we had. Yet he submitted to his mother and his adopted father. On top of that, Jesus did it in his last last dying days. He he honored his parents' authority when he assigned the apostle John to take care of his mother. Do you remember that? But, But Jesus' ultimate example of obedience is not Joseph or Mary. It's to his heavenly father. God the son 
is equal to God the Father and has been in eternity past. But in the incarnation, when he came to earth, the Son submitted to the will of the Father in order to secure our salvation. That meant going to the cross. Remember he had that conflict of submission in the garden? So for us to think, oh, he's God, that's just what he does. No, he, he, he was incarnate. He, he put on flesh. He battled. He said, I don't want to do this, Father. Let this cut pass for me. And then he came to a point of submission. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Beautiful, beautiful verse. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And look at those next three words. And became obedient. Obedient to who? Unto death, which was sentenced by who? God. It was God's wrath for our sin, even the death of the cross. Aren't you thankful? He perfectly obeyed his dad. So we've seen the meaning of the fifth command to To honor our parents means to give due weight to their God-given position in our lives. We've seen a positive example in Jonathan and David and the ultimate example of Jesus. Let's end the message by by applying this to our lives more specifically. Where the rubber meets the road. And I'm going to talk to parents and, and adult children in here. I think this can help us. Number one, the fifth commandment is for young children. It's for young children. So I'm not going to apply it to young children. I'm going to apply it to parents. Our children... This goes without saying by this point, but it needs to be said. Our children need to be taught how to show respect to their mom and dad. Did you see that? They need to be taught how. They need to be taught how to have good manners. All the teachers in the room said amen. They need to be taught how to obey with honor, with a good attitude. I think families should seek to cultivate under the leadership of the dad should seek to cultivate an environment where, where, where obedience is actually normative. It's expected, not demanded every once in a while when the parents get frustrated. I cannot stress enough how important it is for parents to start as early as possible in the training of their children to be obedient. Young mom and dads, listen to me. You still got a chance. A lot of parents today are reactors, not trainers, not teachers. They expect obedience in something that they've not taken the time and energy to train. I found this to be most challenging when I'm trying to coach kids in their sports. Sometimes things happen in a game, whether it's baseball or or basketball, and they frustrate me, especially in basketball. It's such a quick game. And I can react to it from the sideline out of frustration, and then it dawns on me that I haven't even practiced that with the kids. I'm getting mad at them for failing to execute on something that I've never taken the time to teach them in practice. And parents, we do the same thing. Screaming at our kids like angry coaches on the sideline reacting to their players' lack of execution. Why? Well, because like coaches, we're short-sighted. We care more about winning the moment than developing the heart of our child. 
That's why I scream as a coach to a player that doesn't know any better. It's not because I care about the development of the kid. It's because I care about the scoreboard. We want to just address what they did by reacting to it, but we don't want to train and develop their hearts and their habits. That just takes too much work. So I'm going to read some quotes to you. I think will be weighty, but I think will be helpful. By Paul David Tripp, he advocates for what he calls long view parenting. Because he argues that, that, that parenting is not an event, it's a process. We want it to be a series of one-time events, but it's an 18-year process and then some. Three ways, he says, you can reshape your thinking. Parent with a process mentality. Parent with a process mentality. Okay, watch. I hope, yeah, you can read that. Since change is most often a process and seldom an event, you have to remember that you can't look for a dramatic transformational conclusion to your encounters with your children. Seldom has changed the result of a traumatic moment. So you have partial conversations and unfinished moments, but in each moment you are imparting wisdom to your child. Each moment you are exposing your child's heart. Each moment you are building your child's self-awareness. Each moment you are enlivening your child's conscience. Each moment you are giving your child great awareness. Each moment you are constructing a biblical worldview for your child. And each moment you are giving the Spirit of God an opportunity to do things in and for your child that you cannot do. Isn't that a good perspective? Each Moment. Take advantage of the little moments of life to take little steps with your kids. By the way, those come in the ordinary routines of life, ordinary rhythms. Number two, see parenting as one unending conversation. See parenting as one unending conversation. Here's what he says. You are freed from the pressure of needing to get from your child what you're never going to get in a single conversation. You know that this conversation is only one moment in an ongoing conversation that began when the child was born and will probably not even end when your child leaves your home. How many how many parents of adult children know that's the truth? You are liberated from having to load your hopes for your child into one conversation because you know that you live with this child and you will get many more opportunities. So each day you look for another opportunity to advance that critical conversation one more step. And because you do, you don't consider those moments where correction is needed to be interruptions or hassles. But gifts of grace afforded you by a God who is at work in the hearts and lives of your children. Hearing a phrase is what you are committing yourself to. Many, many moments of change. It may be a few moments at bedtime. It may be a brief talk at the dinner table. It may be a few carefully chosen words at the mall. It may be a few comments after school. It may be a back and forth discussion in the SUV. But you're called to be thankful for each one and for the incremental steps that are being taken to rescue, restore, and transform your children. You get up each day aware of what will be required, but thankful that for another day you can take more steps with your children in the most important process in the world. Are you all following this? I know it's hard to sink in, you know, without reading it three or four times, but you grab some of it. It's good. Number three, parent with a project mentality, he says. This is a long quote, but man, this is so good. Because most of us don't parent with a sense of project prepared for when God will give us the next opportunity. Our parenting tends to be reactive. Surprised that another problem has called us into action. We react to the moment. The problem with this is that reactive parenting tends to be emotionally reactive. Because we are not carrying around with us this project mentality, we tend to see these moments as interruptions and hassles because we do, we tend to deal with them emotionally. Did I say that twice? What this creates for your child is an irregular and inconsistent authority structure. This is so convicting. Yesterday, you weren't doing well emotionally, so the racket in your house drove you nuts and you yelled at your kids. Today, you're feeling good and the same noise level that got them in trouble yesterday doesn't get them in trouble today. 
Sadly, rather than growing in a sense of need for and submission to the authority that God has placed in their lives, many children become emotional weathermen. They've come to understand that the rules of the house tend to change with the emotion of the parent who's present. So they're constantly checking the weather in order to gauge what they can get away with and what they can't. Because parental engagement authority is being consistent, their submission to it is inconsistent as well. Wow. What gets in the way of good parenting is not a lack of opportunity. What gets in the way of good parenting, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, missed, I missed it there, is something with the parent. Here's the essence. We turn God-given moments of ministry into reasons to be angry. Wow. Is it quiet in here because you're thinking? That's heavy to me. You know what that does? That's like a bullseye right here in my heart. Especially that part like yesterday, it was fine because I was in a good mood. Today, it's not okay because, well, I just had a bad day. Mm. This should remind us of the weight of our calling, parents. Are you with me? Every conversation is an opportunity to teach them to obey the fifth commandment and be blessed by God for doing it. Every conversation. The weight of this, listen, it ought not to drive us to a sense of despair where we're like, oh man, I'm a terrible parent. It's impossible to raise kids. I'm never going to be good at this. No, it ought to drive us to a sense of dependence upon our Heavenly Father. We don't walk away feeling, oh, in despair. Our parents... You are, your kids are already at the house and so you walk away feeling all kinds of guilty because it's like, man, I wish I would have had those paragraphs 12 years ago. No, we don't beat ourselves up over truth. We run to the Father. We say, God, this is truth and I need your help because this is hard. This is so hard to be consistent. So hard to teach the fifth commandment over and over and over and over. It's not just for young kids. Number two, it's for teenagers. Teenagers. Parents of teens, are you, are you cultivating honor in your family as much as you can with your teenagers? With your teenagers. Here are some possible ways I think you could improve if you have teenagers, this might help you. If your, grandparent, if, if your grandkids are, are teenagers, this might help you as well. Like marriage, do this. Talk more than you fight with your teenager. Talk more than you fight. If the only time you converse with your teen is to correct them, your relationship's going to be too thin to hold up the weight of any kind of disagreement that comes up. Have lots of talks on normal days about normal life. Build a relationship so that when the time comes, you can correct without losing their trust or without losing their heart. Does that make sense? If you feel like, if you feel like that relational credibility is dwaning with you and your teenager, that ought to be like a check engine light for you to take them out. If you're a dad of a daughter, take them out on a date. Dad of a son, uh, take them to the gym, take them to a park, take them for a drive, take them for a steak, wherever you get those around here. If you're a mom, do the same. Do the same. Invest into them when you're not getting on to them. So that you have the, the deposits in, in their heart. So that, that when it's time to have a serious conversation. We just don't want our teenagers to always be hearing what they're not getting right. Don't overlook it. Just, just find ways that they at least get close to getting right. Write them a note every once in a while. Seriously, write them a note every once in a while. 
Put it on their pillow. So when they go to bed that night, they're going to see a note from you. And it just, it just says something like, I love you. You're amazing. Here's $5 to spend at Sonic. I guess you might need like $10 to buy anything these days. So here's $10. With teenagers, right? $5 is just chump change. It's pathetic. Do this too. Don't affirm. This is the balance. Don't affirm to the neglect of confronting. Our barbaric culture celebrates affirmation so much that we've arrived at the point where it's considered loving for parents to encourage their minors to go to the doctor for the purpose of self-mutilation. Transgenderism. That is so cruel of parents. That is so cruel of grandparents. To affirm something that is so anti-biblical and something that will only confuse them for the rest of their lives. Affirmation without truth is not love. It's hatred. If your minor, your teenager feels very deeply that he or she is ready for an adult style romantic relationship and you don't feel like they have the wisdom for that, you are responsible to inform them that their feelings don't determine truth. You don't just get to say, nope, not doing it. You got to teach. You don't just get to set a standard and expect them to live according to that standard with joy without sitting down from the Bible. By the way, if you can't show them from the Bible a principle for why you're doing what you're doing, then it's not going to make sense to a developing teenage brain. We got to be able to reason with them, got to be able to teach them and train them. And by the way, I'm dreading that day when Kevin at age 14 or 15 or 16 has a crush on a girl and, 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 and feels like he's ready to enter this relationship. And I, I have no idea when he'll be, have the wisdom uh, to, to go into that relationship. I, I tend to think it's not going to be till he's like 32 or so. <laughs> but but I, I, I'm already asking the Lord, like, show me things from your word that, I, that can help his heart understand. That I know you have feelings and that's, that's good. I'm glad you like girls. This is a good thing. But you aren't ready. Because with these feelings comes a lot of responsibility. And a lot of risk. And, and, and I, I got to be able to explain. The, you get what I'm saying? The reasoning of that. We really, really confuse our teenagers when all they hear is no. If, if your child has ideas, and this is going to happen, this is going to happen, about gender or sexuality, do, listen, do not be condescending to them. These are real life struggles, man. I'm learning as a pastor that, that I am dealing with this more and more and more. And, and, and it's going to start becoming nearly as normative as heterosexual sin. You know why? Because there's, there's messaging happening all the time around them. That's another reason why I really believe in Christian education. I, I really think it's a safer environment. It's, it's not fail-proof, but it's a safer environment. And in that environment, we're still going to have kids that outside of that environment are bombarded 
with messaging and, and, and there's going to be kids that are abused. Doesn't that just make you sick? That some innocent kid can be touched in a terrible way when they're small and it, it just like it creates a neural pathway in their brain that absolutely confuses them in their sexuality. This is why we just can't be sarcastic about these things. Parents, we can't, we can't be short-sighted about this. These are genuine struggles. And, and, and when somebody's facing these thoughts, like it is scary to them and confusing to them. And if they can't come to the church and say, man, can you help me, can you help me walk through this because they're scared? They can't come to a mom and dad, help me walk through this. Who are they going to go to? And we've got to be careful. We can't be affirming, though. You get that, right? You've got to be careful that your heart of love doesn't cross the line to start affirming things that the Bible says we can't affirm. We've got to confront. Yeah, God, give us wisdom, man. Give us wisdom. Number three, and I'll be done. I've just talked a lot to you tonight. Um, it's for adults. This command's for adults. You're all adults, right? Young adults may, may not be under their parents the same way they once were. Right? When, they, when they grow up, they start working a job, they find their own place to live, they, they become a responsible adult, then mom and dad, your relationship with them is going to naturally change. And by the way, that isn't a bad thing. Prolonged adolescence is a pandemic. It's not good for anyone. By the way, a great way to honor your parents is to get on your own two feet. I love it when I see young adults. I'm looking at Josh back there. I, I see young adults that, that develop a good work ethic, right? I don't mind that Josh is still living at home. I think you're still living at home. But I know you well enough to know that you don't have to. He's on his own two feet. Got a great career. God's doing a great work in his life. I love seeing that. And, and there's many testimonies of like that spread throughout our congregation, past and present, of, of young people that, that really, really uh, applied themselves to be on their own two feet. You know that's a way to honor your parents? Is to put yourself in a position that unless providentially hindered, you can pay your bills. They don't have to. But, but, but listen, even though the relationship changes, adult children should still respect their parents. I think one of the best ways to do that is just to listen to them. Just to ask them every once in a while their opinion on stuff. And listen, though I answer to God myself as a 38-year-old man, I have my own family, I pastor a church. It would be foolish for me and quite arrogant, I think, to live independent of the wisdom of my parents. That'd be foolish. Some of you aren't maybe blessed like I am to have parents that have walked with the Lord for so long and have done for a long time what I'm doing now and what Jenny's doing now. You, you might not, there might not be a lot of areas of wisdom that you feel like your parents have for you. But I bet you you can find something to make them feel like they're being listened to. Are you with me? For some of you that your parents have already gone on, do you miss them tonight? Does this make you look back and say, man, I wish I'd had more time. Are some of you thinking that tonight? Then for those of you who have your parents, we better not let this, better not let this get away from us. We better not let this get away from us. We better honor them face to face while they're still face to face. Even if there's some areas of their life that, that just have not earned that respect. But let me say this. Me and my parents don't always agree. 
That's fair. Dishonoring your parents doesn't mean you do things differently than your parents did. Or see things differently than your parents do. Dishonoring parents means you don't listen to your parents at all. It means that you project yourself as knowing more than your parents. It means that that what you do differently than them, you do with an arrogant attitude. That's a subtle form of adult rebellion. Let me say a word to parents who have adult children, can I? One thing I really, really respect about my parents is the freedom they, they give me to follow the Lord for myself and my family. It's been a learning experience for all of us. But I'm glad that, that, that even where I think and do things differently than my father, whether it's in the home or the church or in my finances or in whatever, I certainly have a better palate than, than he has. I've definitely improved on that. I like more than beef jerky and pizza. Jenny thinks and does things differently than my mother and her mother. Our parents still support us as we follow Christ. You with me? And parents, if your adult children, they're making irresponsible and unspiritual decisions, you shouldn't affirm them. You should lovingly confront them. And if that doesn't work, you should start fighting for them on your knees through prayer. But if they're not doing anything that's in contradiction to the word of God, it's just different than the way you did it or would do it, then you shouldn't try to manipulate their behavior. Let them follow the Lord. They have the same Holy Spirit that you have, the same book that you have, same liberty in Christ that you wanted from your parents. You wanted your parents to respect your liberty in Christ. So respect theirs. Be available, right? Be available, but not pushy. Another way that, that older adults often honor their parents, I'll just close with this, is, is by helping to take care of them. Much like Jesus did for his mom in the moments of his death. I, I think that, that this is why there can be no expiration date on the fifth command. And this isn't meant to guilt anybody because some, some parents live miles away from their adult children and it's just not possible to take care of them like you wish you could. Um, some get into a, a state of mind that, that the adult children can no longer keep themselves safe or their parents safe or cared for and all of that. We, we get that. But, but I think there are a lot of situations where adult children can, can take care of their mom and dad still. Do, would you agree with that? I'm thankful that my sister um, has the spiritual gift of changing adult diapers because... Because I don't. And we've already talked about this. I'll pay for the diapers. She changes the diapers. You know what I mean? If you go to heaven before me and they're still on earth, then... Wheat Ridge, here we come. I don't know what we're going to do. Y'all got to pray for me in that. I'll mow the grass. I'll grocery stop. I'll pay for someone to clean your house. I'll pay for someone to wash your car. I'll pay for someone to mow your lawn probably. But the other things, giving baths and, and feeding you and all that. I don't know, mom. I don't, I can't guarantee that. <laughs> Tiff can. That's her spot. That's her lane. But so you need to stay alive longer than me. 
At the end of the day, though, at the end of the day, um, if God gives you geographically and logistically the opportunity to take care of your parents, then I think you, you should do your best to do so if you can. Amen? Amen. All right. We're not going to have an invitation. We've got to go. But.